Thank you, Steve. Yep, devil's got a lot of those, doesn't he? He sure does. We've took a ride on a few of them, haven't we? Yep, sure have. I'm going to invite your attention tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And we'll start our reading tonight in verse number 7 and read the uh, entire chapter through verse 18. What the new covenant is and what it is not. And so just stick with me tonight as we go through uh, this text. This isn't probably the easiest preaching text I've ever come upon, but uh, some good encouraging and truthful uh, things to be found here in this text of Scripture. So verse number 7 of 2 Corinthians 3. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we come tonight, Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us. And God, thank you that it's instructive in our life. And God, thank you that it's encouraging in our walk with you. And Lord, tonight I pray that we will have a heart to receive what you have for us. And God, that we would long to hear from you more than we want anything else at this present time, God. Lord, I pray for the kids in Awana. God, that you administer grace to them. And God, as they take in your word, Lord, may you use that to just draw them to yourself for that day. We pray that every one of those kids up there tonight, every one of them, God, Lord, that there would be a time and a place in their life that they would make you Lord and Savior. Lord God, I, that's our ambition and that's our desire is to see you draw them to salvation. God, I pray for the men around us tonight that are standing to preach the gospel faithfully. God, that you would use them. And Lord, that they would know the filling and the unction of the Spirit of God as they stand there. And God, that through them that your word would go forth with power and authority tonight. Lord, we give you this time as best we know how. God, we lay ourselves before you. And God, I ask you to use us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. What the new covenant is and what it is not. Now, the third chapter 
uh, of 2 Corinthians here is much a commentary uh, about the book of Exodus in chapter 32 through 34 because that is what he is alluding to and that's what he is commenting about. We see God's response to Israel uh, for breaking uh, their promise to keep God's law. Now, if you go back in, you know, in, your, in your mind and in your heart, you know that no sooner had uh, Moses got started down uh, the, the mount there that they had already broken the promise. And uh, it didn't take them long at all to do that. And before it was over with, it, Moses, he was madder than fire at them, and God was very uh, disappointed in all that they had done. You know, as a result, they had, in essence, that they lost the presence of God there with them. But ultimately, in a, in a separate location outside uh, of their camp, Moses would speak with God. And you would find that in Exodus 33, in verse number 9. And so Moses, that he continued to desire uh, the presence of God, that he con continued uh, to, to petition God, and ultimately that God, that he granted him uh, his request, and that God showed him his glory. Moses, that he makes another trip, that he gets a fresh uh, set of cut stones and he makes another trip up Mount Sinai there. And God uh, did come and that he visited with him in the cloud there, that uh, Moses, that God hid him uh, in the cleft of the rock there and he uh, caught the afterglow of his presence. And then ultimately that Moses, that he worshiped, that Moses, that he prayed there. And he you know, said, God, uh, forgive us, God, pardon us, and uh, God, I want to know your presence, all these things. And uh, God said, all right, that I'll allow you to be a mediator between me and these people, and Moses, that he would meet with God. And uh, when Moses met with God, then his very countenance uh, would light up, so to speak, that there would be a glow about him that can be described in no other way but the presence of the Lord. And so much so that ultimately that he would be aware of veil. Uh, and so uh, you check all that out in the book of Exodus in 32 through 34. We could all uh, brush up uh, on that a little bit in our Old Testament <clears throat> history. So Paul's point here in this text of Scripture, what is he getting at is he uses these Old Testament uh, illustrations here. His point is that as great as Moses' ministry was and as great uh, as the Old uh, Covenant was, in, in as much so that Moses had to veil uh, himself, uh, you know, it did not and it would not uh, be the end all. It wouldn't provide Israel with uh, continuous access to God. It wouldn't be all uh, that they had hoped that it would be. That God, uh, who uh, came through and, and would, through Moses, make himself known that that is not all uh, that they desired and it was not all that God had desired uh, for them as well. But uh, more than that, that Paul is pointing to the fact that through the new covenant, through the, what the Lord Jesus Christ did in the gospel as he did, as he died on the cross for men, mankind, uh, that he instituted the new covenant, uh, something fresh, something new. And here Paul gives several reasons as to why the new covenant 
that Jesus Christ instituted, why it is better than the old covenant uh, that Israel was living under. And so tonight I have four or five things here that I want us to take from this text of Scripture. First of all, in 7 and 8, it says the new covenant is life and not death. In 7 and 8, the new covenant is life and not death. And then in verse 9 and 10, the new covenant is righteousness and not condemnation. The new covenant is righteousness and not condemnation. And then 11 through 13, the new covenant is permanent and not temporary. The new covenant is permanent, not temporary. In 14 through 17, the new covenant is for Jews, not only Gentiles. The new covenant is for Jews and not only Gentiles. And then in verse 18, the new covenant is for all believers, not just one like Moses. The new covenant is for all believers and not just one like Moses. So in 7 and 8, the new covenant is life and not death. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Now here, uh, Paul is particularly associating and contrasting the glory of the Old Testament and the glory of the New Testament. And so in chapters 3 and 4, you know, the, the, some form of the word glory, whether that be glory, glorious, or whatever, is used uh, some 17 times. Uh, so you know when a word is repeated in a text of Scripture that is very vital to the understanding of that passage of Scripture. And so the Old Covenant is called a min the ministration or the ministry of death engraven in stone. And so with what, what do we know that was engraven in stone? The Ten Commandments. That's exactly what was engraven in stones. And that is the Ten in particular, but it also, I believe, stands for all that God had told them. And so with that, we know that they were threatened with death for everyone who didn't keep the law. Exodus 19 and verse 13. So certainly uh, with what Moses experienced on Mount Sinai, that there was glory with the giving of the law. And Moses' face was uh, shown so brightly that you know man couldn't bear to, to witness what God, all that God was there in that moment, that point in time. And so, uh, the, you know, the Judaizers of that day, which we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, they were the ones uh, that were being a pain in the neck uh, to the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were constantly bombarding him. We see that here in Corinthians. We see that repeated over and over again, that this group, this sect, they, could, they were perpetual pain uh, to Paul. And so that they would say, hey, yeah, you can be saved by grace, but you must maintain it by the keeping of the law. They, there are those today who have very similar beliefs to that, all right? And so that's what they were doing. They were coming, and they were trying to uh, undermine the ministry that Paul had had there among the church at Corinth for a year and a half, two years, and they were coming and trying to disrupt everything uh, that had been accomplished during that time. Now, uh, in the book of Galatians, 
Paul, he spends some time uh, talking about uh, the things that the law could not do. In Galatians, he says that the law cannot justify, that the law cannot give the Spirit, the law cannot give an inheritance, the law cannot give life, and the law cannot give freedom. All those things are found in the book of Galatians as to what the law cannot do. So there in verse 7 and 8 we see that those are some some things that we need to take away uh, from this. Now in verse 9 and 10, the new covenant is righteousness and not condemnation. Righteousness and not condemnation. So the law is not all these things, but it is greater than it is. It is not this, but the what the new covenant, that it is greater, that it is more glorious. The old covenant had glory to it, but my goodness, he said, how much more glory does the new covenant have? Now in 9 and 10, as he talks about the new covenant provides righteousness and not condemnation. For the ministration of condemnation be glory. So he's talking about the old covenant there. Much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Now, the old covenant, that it brought condemnation to all men. There was not a man woman, boy, or girl living, or ever would live, whatever, that it did not bring condemnation to because there is not one person that can perfectly keep the law of God. That everyone who has walked upon the face of this earth, other than Jesus Christ himself, that we find our, our lives being broken against the law of God. Yet, that being so, and it bringing condemnation, it still had an aspect of glory to it uh, because it had a real purpose, it had a real meaning, and God had good intentions in and through it. And I would go to say that even today, that the law, that it has good purposes as we look in the commands of God. But not in comparison, that's it, but not in comparison to the new covenant. It's not that it didn't have glory, but when you think about the comparison, comparing it to the new covenant, that it is not glorious at all, but the new covenant, that it truly is glorious, that it truly is beautiful. Someone said that it's the ministration of righteousness by which men are justified, as he talks about the new covenant. It's by righteousness that men are justified and that they are freed from the condemnation of the law. So you tell me, does not the glories of Calvary far surpass the glories of Mount Sinai? Absolutely. When you think about that, what doesn't it not just thrill your heart when you think about what was accomplished on Calvary as compared to what was given on Mount Sinai? Yes. It's glorious. It's absolutely beautiful. In verse 10, for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Had glory, but not in comparison. And when one lays the two side by side, you put one here and you put one here, there's going to be no comparison that we're going to go to the new covenant and see for ourselves the glory that is found there 
the law never could, never will be able to save one soul from hell. Yet the new covenant and what the Lord Jesus Christ did is he died on the cross for mankind. That is glory. That's what the Bible says here is glory. In 11 through 13, that the new covenant is permanent and it's not temporary. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, in 11 uh, through 13 here, that we see that it is something that is permanent, unlike Unlike the old covenant that was temporary and fading away, and as the King James says here, it's done away, it's done away with. For that which is done away was glorious in verse number 11. Or that, uh, I think the idea, as Wiersbe points out, the idea is that which is passing away. That which was passing away. When you understand uh, the time in which Paul wrote this, that he wrote this in a time of transition. Remember, the temple was still standing. Uh, they were still offering sacrifice. Uh, just a few years, that would change. But Paul was in a time of transition there, so it was in the process of passing away. You and I, were in a time where it's passed away. But Paul was writing in a time where it was passing away. In a few short years, it would be done away with. But in every sense of the word, that the old covenant, that it was fading, and that the old covenant, that it was temporary. Temporary. Now, uh, I think it's, there's two words here, if I can pick them, uh, pick them out here. It talks about that it was, uh, yes, let's see, was glorious and is glorious. I hate it when this happens. Okay, in verse 11, verse 11. For if that which is done away was glorious... How much more that which remaineth is glorious. Two verbs there, was and is. Those are two that need to be underlined because it was the old covenant, that was, but now the new covenant is glorious, okay? So that makes a very clear distinction, that which was and that which is, okay? Those two are very, very important. Now, it says, and not as Moses, or let me say, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, uh, this hope that he talks about uh, here is not something that we, you know, got our fingers crossed. This is a word that means no in verse number 12. Seeing this, then that we have such hope, all right, that we have such security, that we uh, have such a guarantee. It means to know. And so others, uh, other translations or other people, as they look at this, it talks about a strong conviction uh, that, the, you know, that the gospel will never fade, that the gospel will never cease to exist, that the gospel will never, ever lose its power, all right? And so that is what Paul, that he was banking his ministry on, he was banking the defense of what he had done on the fact that 
that the, this new covenant, even though the old was passing away, he was counting everything on the fact that this new covenant, that he was sure that it was steadfast, he was sure that it was unmovable, he was sure that it was forever. All right? And so that he had, and he was able to write, and he was able to minister to these people with great confidence. And he does that, and he says he writes with boldness. We use great plainness, plainness of speech. Paul is strong, that Paul is bold, and that Paul is not going to back down from these Judaizers uh, who are bombarding him and that are uh, bombarding the church. He's not going to do it. He's rock solid knowing that the gospel is steadfast, that the gospel is sure. And, you know, if you're going to uh, minister and if you're going to stay in the fight of faith, that you're, you must be anchored to something. You must know uh, that what you are proclaiming, what you are preaching, and what that you expect people to respond to, you must know with all of your heart that it's the real deal and that it's not shifting sand, but it's a rock-solid foundation. And that's what Paul said about the gospel and this new covenant, that it was sure and that it was steadfast. And so he could speak with plainness and he could speak with openness and that he could speak with great clarity on it knowing that the gospel was sure and so uh, that you see in the apostle Paul that you always see uh, that that he was uh, he was bold in what he had to say and not that he was you know, arrogant, not that he was unconcerned, but that he was bold in what he had to say. How could he, how could he be that bold? Because he had a great confidence from which he ministered from, and that's the steadfastness of the gospel and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that's even today uh, why uh, men can stand with boldness and proclaim the gospel. That's why men today uh, can, can face adversity is because they're, they're sure, and not, not in themselves, but they're sure in that which they are grounded in, that being the gospel in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And so 13, he says, and not as Moses. So in, he's referencing uh, Exodus 34 in verse 33 there. When Moses had finished speaking, then he veils his face. And the, the veiling uh, of his face is really the essence here. You see the glory, the glory of his face there, that it was temporary and that it was fading glory. That's what you see happening there, that it was fading away, that it was transitioning, that it was temporary. And so we know in hindsight that this pointed to the temporary nature of the old covenant. Now, you know, they, they didn't see all that, but you and I, in hindsight, that we have uh, the ability to see that it was pointing to something else. It was not just about the veil. It was not just about that moment, but pointing that it's, this old covenant was something that was temporary, and that was not for, uh, you know, that generation, you know, just to, to see. It was something that was moving, it was transitioning, and that God was doing something else. Else. Now, F.W. Grant said it beautifully. He said, the glory on the face of Moses must give way to another face. 
<laughs> the glory, the glory on the face of Moses must, must give way to another face. You see, that face is not some earthly face, some human face, but it's the face of Jesus. And that is where the glory lies, that it took place in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the minister of this new covenant, that he need not have a veil because the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is not fading, it's not temporary, it's not passing away, but it is forever. That's the glory that we have, that we experience in the Lord Jesus Christ, that His glory, that it will never, ever fade away. The glory of the new covenant. Now, in verse number 14 and 17, that this covenant is for Jews and not Gentiles only. It says, but their minds were blinded. Talking about the uh, nation of Israel. Their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Now, for sure, the children of Israel did not understand the significance of, of all that Moses did. And even uh, in Paul's time, the Jews still did not understand the significance of the Old Testament and the fact that it was something that was fleeting, something that was temporary, something that was passing away. And let's go ahead and say it, not just in the Old Testament, not just in Paul's time, but even still today in our own lifetime that those Jews, uh, many of them, they still did not see the, the, the temporary nature of the Old Covenant. And they are blinded. They're blinded. And they shall be uh, blinded for, for some time, but nonetheless, they were blinded by their own religion. They were blinded by their own teachers and what they had uh, been informed wrongly about throughout their entire lives. But look what he says here in the end of 14. He says, which veil is done away in Christ. See, the difficulty that uh, they may have an understanding the Old Testament comes from the fact that they fail to recognize who Jesus is. Yeah. That's their whole problem. Yeah. You see, if they would simply, if they would simply own up and own for themselves the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Old Testament would make a lot more sense to them and they would come uh, to a much better understanding. Again, uh, I was reading, uh, Hodge said, the Old Testament scriptures are intelligible only when understood as predicting and prefiguring Christ. The knowledge of Christ removes the veil from the Old Testament. The knowledge of Christ. Removes the veil from the Old Testament. And, that, and that's still true even today. That if we want to understand the Old Testament, that we have to have an understanding of who Christ is. So just as Moses um, moved his veil in the presence of the Lord, any, any Jew today who will turn to Jesus, then his veil is spiritually removed as well. In the presence of God, that his veil that it is spiritually moved as well. 
he talks about here that there is a, there's a freedom. There's a freedom in all this that, the, that God uh, provides, a liberty. What he says in verse number uh, 17. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. In Galatians 4 again, as we refer back to the book of Galatians again, that God, that, that he, as he uh, instructs Paul, that he compares uh, the old covenant to slavery, and he compares the new covenant, the New Testament, he compares it to freedom. And so through what the Lord Jesus Christ did at, on the cross, that you and I being beneficiaries of this new covenant, that Christ has set us Free, that we've been freed from the bondage and the penalty of the law. And now you and I are free to live by the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. No longer under, under the bondage of the law. Now there's plenty, there's plenty of here uh, in the building tonight that you've, uh, in, in, in and throughout your life, that uh, you have been in a, uh, a church where really that, you know, pressed you pretty, pretty heavy, uh, you know, to be, be crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's, okay? And I get that, and I understand that. And I believe that we as believers, that our lives should be impeccable, that our lives should set a standard uh, before a lost and dying world, okay? But, but, but that, those things... That our walk with Christ is not about us keeping a checklist of do's and don'ts. Our walk with Christ is about being spirit-led people moment by moment and day by day. And as we are spirit-led people, that that life will outshine the life of legalism every day. Do it. And so, yes, we are to live impeccable lives in front of a lost and dying world. But it is not, cannot be achieved by, our, by us trying to keep the letter of the law, even as believers. But we must be spirit-led day by day and moment by moment. And through that, we have liberty. And through that, we look into the very face of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing. And lastly, in verse number 18. The new covenant's for all believers and not just those like a Moses. But we all. That, there's a good, another good word, A-L-L. Yeah. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now as we... Think about who we are and what God has for us. And here we are looking at a man named Moses, a powerful and a mighty prophet of God that, you know, he wasn't perfect, but, but God used him in an extraordinary way. And we think, man, you know, th this stuff is not, this is not for me. This is, this is not for the average person. I think that the scripture here tells us that, yes, this is for the average person. This is for each and every one of us. This is for us all. In many ways, uh, this one verse, that it is the climax of the entire chapter, 
in that that we see that we share in the image of Christ. And what a, uh, I don't know, that, that's almost unconceivable uh, for us to even imagine that. But in the Old Covenant, only Moses climbed the mountain and experienced God. But under the New Covenant, that all believers, that we have the privilege of experiencing the presence of God. The Old Testament, Moses, only Moses got to experience the presence of God. And now today, under the New Covenant, you and I, we get to experience the presence of God. Is that not something that's exciting? Is that not something that is greater than the Old Covenant? Absolutely. Man, we get to experience the presence of God. That is greater. That is better. That far exceeds anything else. Hebrews 10 says that we can go into the very holy of holies. Into the intimate place with God that you and I can go. With open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Maybe maybe you have a translation that uses the word mirror. What's the mirror? The Word of God. The Word of God is the mirror. That's what we look at and we see ourselves. And we see ourselves as we are. And so he's pointing us to the fact that we are to be in the Word of God. And as we are in the Word of God, that we see Jesus And as we see Jesus and as we see ourselves, that the Holy Spirit takes that word and that he brings transformation into our lives. Friend, there will not be transformation apart from the word of God. You can take that to the bank. If you want to see something and experience something different in your life, if you want to see change in your life, I'm talking real change, spiritual change in your life, it will not come any other way than the Word of God. That's it. That's how God works. Now, you know, he, he, you take the Word of God and there will be a lot of other things that He's throwing in that pot, but ultimately that this is it. The Word of God. That it is the mirror. That's the glass that we look into. He says, through it, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. This word change is the same word that's used there in the moment of transfiguration. It's that word that we get what? Metamorphosis from. That's the kind of change. When we get in the Word of God, This isn't for some superhero type Christian. Friend, this is for you, it's for me, it's for normal, ordinary people. And friend, as Moses, as he reflected on, uh, you know, what... The, the image of God and the, and the glory of God in his life. And man, that was a magnificent thing. And that, that, you know, that was something that reflected the image of God. But you and I, as we take in the word and that gets in us, that we radiate the word of God. You see, that reflection, that it, that it, tended, to, it tended to go down and, and to lose its luster. But that which is inside of us, that it is a constant radiation that is flowing out of us moment by moment and day by day. What a difference we see as those two are compared. He says, even 
into the same image. The same image. The same image of who? Jesus. That, that's the image that we are being transformed into. That he is still working on us. That he is still doing a work inside of his people. Those who are getting into his word and the word is getting into them. It says from glory to glory. That means from one degree to another. Talks about the progressive nature of our sanctification. And that there is a constant changing. That we should not be looking how we did last year. Spiritually speaking, that we should look different this year than we did last year. Little by little. The old covenant was ever, was ever fading and the new covenant is ever increasing. A change. How different? Ever fading or ever increasing? It's a good, good deal. It says, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You notice that we don't get to this place by the constant moral pounding of trying to keep the law. We get to that place by the Holy Spirit of God that indwells all believers as He takes the Word and He works in us. It's not Ronnie Stinson doing the work. I can't make myself good enough. But it's God through the Holy Spirit that He is constantly at work inside of me and that He is changing me and that He is changing you even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this Spirit is not human spirit. It's not any other spirit other than that of the Lord. Now, there is nothing that the Lord cannot do. There's nothing that is too difficult for the Lord. There's nothing that is beyond the, the reach of the Lord. There's nothing that is beyond the expertise of the Lord. So you may be rougher than a cob, so to speak, in your spiritual life. But as you and I get into His Word and that Spirit works inside of us, that we are going to be constantly progressing. We may not look like a superhero right now but by the time the Lord Jesus gets finished with us we're not going to be the same person that we started out being and friend this new covenant that it's far greater than the old covenant ever was and thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ who made it all possible and these are things that are not just for the limited few but these are things that are for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, that you've allowed us these moments together in your word. And Father, we know that there's uh, so much more that, that could be uh, said, I'm sure, Lord, by somebody uh, a lot wiser than I am, God. But Lord, I pray that your, your spirit has taken your word and that it's taught us tonight. And Lord, that just revealed truth in our own heart, maybe even things that I didn't speak tonight. God, I pray your spirit has spoken louder than I have tonight in our hearts. And God, may we be constantly encouraged by what you are doing 
uh, Lord, in our lives, Father. Lord, may we be uh, committed to your word and, Lord, uh, just be pliable and moldable, Lord, in your hands by what your spirit uh, desires to do, God. So, Lord, I pray that for this moment, uh, God, whatever, whatever the need may be, Lord, I, I don't know. I can't read anybody's mind. I can't look inside of anybody's heart tonight. But, Lord, I know that there, there, there's burdens here tonight. There's needs here tonight. And, Lord, I'm so foolish as to believe that when your word is opened and read and preached, that you, that you speak to, to hearts. And, God, I pray that tonight that we'd be receptive uh, to all that you have spoke to us about. And, Lord, that we, right where we are right now, uh, Lord, that we would surrender to say yes to you. And, God, that we would uh, say, Lord, I'm willing for whatever you've got for my life. Let's stand together tonight. You no, know, as we have this time of invitation.